You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Welcome to the Over a Drink podcast, episode 16. This is the first and hopefully the only time that I've done a take two on uh, this podcast. Everything has been we click and we go. And that's why they they come out pretty long sometimes. Uh, they're an hour to an hour and a half to two hours. And I don't really care uh, because it is uh, – the, the the power of storytelling is infinite, and when the the author in that is God, um, he determines how many chapters there are in that story. And so we're going to talk about it until we feel like not talking about it. And uh, that's okay if you're on episode six right now, which you're not. You're on episode 16. But if it took you a while to get here, I don't know when this is going to release uh, because I'm backdated, which I keep talking about. But... I did mention that this is take two, and it was because me and my busyness got going, and we forgot to pray before we got going. And to speak to the character of uh, the guest that I have, he said, we forgot to pray. We need to start over. And without a doubt, I hit stop and said, okay, will you pray for us then? Um, and so that's the that's the extra 2%. Um, <laughs> as he chuckles, uh, Matt, Matt McKenzie, he's been in my phone as Mark McKenzie, um, because I put this date down, uh, a while ago. And I think I put it down in the middle of the night when I was texting him, I text people at inappropriate times. So I apologize, but Matt is, he has the name 2%, um, at Red Rocks worship because he is a drummer, um, who brings the extra 2%. He invites the Holy Spirit in in such a way that it's just 2% different when he is there. Um, and that's really cool. Uh, I would second that nickname. I think that um, I am not musical, and so I can't I can't speak to being on stage with him, but I can say that this man has led me in worship through his giftings um, and through who, who he is off the stage. And so Matt, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we're drinking coffee. We're drinking, uh, man, I'm a sweet bloom guy. I talk about Starbucks a lot on this show, but that is, I would say that I'm a cheap ass first. Um, sorry, cheap, butt first. <laughs> so free comes above quality for me a lot of times and I'm, I'm working on it. Um, but we're drinking sweet bloom. Uh, love it, Matt. I have been talking for too long without letting you talk. So, uh, would you give me, uh, an elevator pitch of who you are? You, I, I get on the elevator with you. Um, we're going up four floors. You got 40 seconds, which if it takes that long in an elevator, we're not in the 1900s. So, um, you have 40 seconds. Okay. Go. Yeah. Uh, my name is Matt McKenzie. I go by a nickname, 2%, uh, like Mitch referenced. Um, I get the unsung privilege of being the director of lead generation at the number nine real estate team in all of the state of Colorado. Um, and I'm also a drummer for Red Rocks Worship. So kind of entrepreneurial spirit. 
Um, I'm married to an amazing woman who I don't deserve. Her name's Rebecca. She's a night shift labor and delivery nurse. So she's a saint among men. Um, mm-hmm. and she's the love of my life. Uh, we live in Broomfield, um, no kids, no pets. Um, but we, we love life and love Jesus and love other people. That's me. That was really good. And I didn't even give you a, <laughs> holy cow. Um, okay. So, uh, oh, and I'm a, I'm a coffee snob, so the fact that we're drinking Sweet Bloom is like <laughs> straight to my heart. And if you're so. out, hey, there's there's half a cup here. You want that? Dude, yeah, you got to get over. up and come and get it from me because I'm kind of tucked back in here. There you go. Um, but um, again, an- another first on this episode, we have a coffee reload uh, coming in at you hot uh, this morning. Uh, but so Matt, you you drum? That's sweet. You. Uh, you sell houses. Cool. Um, your wife is it? Where is she a nurse at? Uh, a Vista Hospital in in Louisville. Okay. So she's been there for for three years now. And if if you work nights, you understand that that's a lifestyle. And you know that's probably been. She's a she's a champion. I don't know how she does it. Um, she stays up all night, sleeps all day. It's a five day process because she has to like sleep in to get ready and then sleep in to recover. So it's like jet lag, but yeah, it's not. crazy. That's, um, but yeah, that's, that's our life currently, but she's moving to day shift in December. So amen. we're like, that's an answer to prayer. Um, yeah. Just cause sleep schedules aligned. Yeah. And we're, we're, we've only been married for like four months now, so we're newbies. Um, yeah. so still trying to figure it out, but yeah, that's so cool. I'm stoked for you guys. I think, that that's something that will be so good for your marriage is having, I, I think to literally sex, like there's no way, like it's <laughs> like when you're, if you're, if she's so tired that night at during like your sleep schedules are just thrown off. So yeah. like, and so we don't need to go into that, but I, that's just my first thought. But then yeah. like, um, that then it's, brings, it's not even, it's not even sex. It's just synergy because like, she's my best friend and I want to spend yeah. time with my best friend. Like, yeah. um, I think one of the biggest you know, I'm not a marriage expert by any means, but one of the biggest misnomers about marriage is that, and I think guys in particular have this idea that it's all about sex all the time. Yeah. And let me just dispel that right <laughs> now and Mitch, you're married too. So, you yeah. know, like it comes in seasons, it comes in waves. It's a good thing. God's created it for connection. But if, if, if that becomes the center of like why you get married, you're married for the wrong reason. Amen. Um, yeah. I think, I think one of my, one of my friends, he's a worship leader here in town. His name's Nate. Um, he leads up at Flatirons. He, he, he told me a long time ago, sex is more about serving your wife than serving yourself. Mm. And if you take that like posture right now, it'll serve you for the rest of your mm. life. And so mm. it's not about what can I get out of this, but what can I give? Oh yeah. Um, which is, I, I really think, cause it's created by God. Right. And, and God gave to humanity. He gave his son, yeah. like he emptied himself. Like, and it's just such a, a parallel um, to what, Jesus did for his church. Yeah. And I, it's not an accident that God sets things up that way. No, you know? um, no. And it's, if you would have told me 16 year old me. So, um, I think if you've listened to the first episode, I, I had sex before marriage. Um, and if you would have told, I guess I was 18 at the time when I lost my virginity, uh, that I would ever say no to sex, I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if I would like when you get married, you're like sex all the time, tight sex, boom, like let's do it. And then you get married, and then there's like seasons of life where 
you're like you're laying there, you're like, babe, I'm just tired for like days at a time. Like I'm, mm-hmm. that's not where my brain is. Yeah. Like it's not against you, and like the and it ha- and then also to be able to humble yourself in the way that like when your wife tells you no, and you to be like. Okay, I get that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not an indictment on me. Mm-hmm. Like, man, that was something hard to learn because I'm I'm a little bit. I'm about two years ahead of you, um, which doesn't feel like a lot when you say that. But then, man, the last four months have t- been the longest four months of my life. Yeah. Um, because baby coming, like, yeah. and for you, I'm sure it's been the longest four months of your life because newly married. Yeah. Like, it's it's it. My, like I said, you know, no, nobody's perfect, but I, I think I, I chose a long time ago um, to lean into criticism from people that know me the mm-hmm. most and that love me the most. And there's no one that loves me more than my wife. Yeah. And when she brings me something, like it, it takes a lot of humility to lean into that and go further and discover where that's coming from. And I really think, like Mitch, that's been kind of the epitome of my whole story mm-hmm. is drawing it back to like this kind of one thing that happened in my life um, or a couple things and seeing where it all stems from. And I think God continually brings me back to, Hey, this happened as a result of this. It goes all the way back to your childhood of like, this is where it comes from. Like, and to connect the dots, I think, I think maturity is not like you're wiser or you're smarter. You just can see things before they happen Hmm. or you know yourself well enough to say, Nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say this. Um, like there's words that come out of that are in my head and like sentences and whatnot. And I don't speak them anymore because I know like, Hey, that's not going to do anybody any good. Let's keep that thought to ourselves, but Hmm. let's discover, Hey, where did that come from? Why'd you feel the need to say that? Like curiosity. Yeah. That's really good. And I love, I want to jump into that because we haven't really talked Man, I love that, and you, you and I talked about this beforehand. But uh, this podcast has just kind of it's organically shifted uh, to A, B, C, D, and uh, marriage is not A for you in your testimony. But we started talking about it because it's yeah. probably like a E or an F, yeah, right? For like sure. If we're looking at the linear mm-hmm. um, timeline, but like your how you are a husband is shaped by. Every letter before yeah. F, right? Yeah. Um, we'll say M for marriage. Yeah. Um, but this is still a podcast about testimony and the beauty there within. And so I would love for you, um, man, I grew up not knowing anything about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> like it was Jesus and God. Same. Yeah. And I grew up in a church that was um, very conservative, very, don't even raise your hands, bro. Like I've been in rooms led by you where people are Jericho lapping, like (laughs) to say that, like I have had a, a transformation. So Francis Chan forgotten God is a book that I read that is today feels elementary, but in, in itself, the Holy spirit understanding the Trinity is elementary. It is, Mm -hmm. it is someone once said, I think it's in this book. If you were to give someone who's never known anything about today's Christianity, the Bible, put them on an Island and said, tell me the three main characters, the Holy spirit would be the first one that they list because Mm -hmm. um, of its influence. And so I believe that this podcast is Holy spirit breathed. 
And every breath and every word that we utter is because we prayed the prayer, Holy Spirit, include what you want to include and exclude what you want to exclude. Um, let you have the glory. That's every prayer, um, yeah. every episode. And so right now, like, I just want to give you the chance to, A, if you want to start it, A, and start from this is my testimony. Cool. But I'd also love to give you the opportunity to be like, hey, this is where I am being taught mm-hmm. um, through my testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where parts of my testimony are being used and repurposed to be teach me. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, dude, I, I just would love for you, whatever's pressing on your heart, uh, sure. Holy spirit. I just would pray yeah. that, that that be you. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a part of, part of my job is, is putting things in order and having some sort of organization around it. And, um, so I just, I'll start at a, mm-hmm. um, so, I was born uh, February 19th, 1993. It was a Friday. Yes. It's my dad's birthday. Yeah, it is. Uh, You know, and the biggest part of my, the the biggest, most foundational part of my story is I was, I was adopted from birth. So, um, and I actually didn't know the full extent of this, um, of this story really until I was 24, mostly because it was out of shame and insecurity. Mm -hmm. The fact that I was adopted and nobody wanted me. I think that's been a baseline struggle in my life that, Hey, I want to be accepted and loved for who I am. And I'm really scared when I walk into a new room. So I feel like I have to say things or do things to earn other people's approval. And it just comes out sideways. Mm -hmm. Um, anybody close to me will tell you that that's Matt's like biggest struggle. Um, as I want to be liked and loved for who I am and just not feeling that from Jesus at a very early age or not accepting that from Jesus was really a, a sideways thing for me, but yeah, adopted from birth. I was born in, in Virginia. Um, you know, and, and the story, it's crazy. Um, and I really think back to like Psalm 139 has been my life first. Um, in the, in the particular part where like he formed you in your mother's womb, like the God's fingerprints are all over my story and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, birth mom was addicted to cocaine. So Mitch, I probably shouldn't be sitting here talking to you because uh, <laughs> co- cocaine babies don't make it. Yeah. Um, or they come out sideways and they have all sorts of birth defects and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, birth dad was incarcerated. He was a drug dealer. Um, well, I guess one of the drug, drug kingpins back in the hood, whatever. Um, I just think of the life that I would have had if I was born into that, Mm -hmm. um, would have been completely different than what I have now. So my parents, Glenn and Rebecca McKenzie are all I've ever known. Um, I don't know what my birth mom looks like. I don't know what my birth dad looks like, never met them. And that's something, honestly, like I still like, to this day have no desire to do that Hmm. yet. And maybe God would give me the desire to do that at some point. Um, but not right now. Hmm. Um, it's cause I think I'm still unraveling parts of the story for myself, um, and accepting those and sifting through what does that mean for me? So this is a journey and process, but yeah. Um, one thing that my birth mom told my dad and mom, um, is that that kid's going to be a musician. Cause every time I played music, like he'd be keeping a beat, which is crazy. Like I really think me being a drummer is like the most, one of the most prophetic things, um, that God spoke over me from an early age. And, and so I, like, I really chalk it up to like, if there's anything that I do, that's an extra 2% or whatever, it comes from that of like, 
God spoke that word over me from an early age. Mm. And that's, that's what you feel come through. And like, I, there's a prayer I pray before I get on stage to lead worship is God, let, let people see you in me, through me, and even audacious to say it's as me. Cause if I'm not present in this moment, they won't get a cheap performance. They'll mm. be impacted by you. Um, mm. And that's what I want people to feel. I think as a collective whole with Red Rocks worship, when we, when we go into a space, whether it's a Thursday recording for online for our own church, or it's you know in on on some random stage in Nowheresville, Minnesota, yeah. um, like we did a couple weeks ago, we just want people to feel the presence of God and have an encounter with Him. And I think that's really cool when God gets a bunch of people together and does that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the foundational part of my story is being adopted. Um, I have a younger sister. She's also adopted. So my parents can have kids. And, you know, I think adoption is a beautiful thing again, cause it's, there's God sets some things up in the world and it's kind of crazy how he, um, you know, has adopted all of us as sons and daughters and how I'm actually adopted. So I feel that connection to that part of wow. the spirit and the, the nature of God himself as God is father of like, I choose you. Um, and that's been, like something to be honest, Mitch, it's, it's super hard for me to like accept that because I think it's paralleled with like, so well, someone didn't want me at an early age, but God, you choose me. Um, mm-hmm. that has probably been the biggest tug of war in my life to be able to accept that. And, you know, there's all sorts of, of sideways paths that kind of go out of that story. But yeah, I mean, I, if I could, talk to somebody who's maybe struggling with their story or, or just struggling with the fact that they feel like shame or insecurity about it. Um, God chose you mm. and your story is beautiful. Uh, even if in people say all the time that like my testimony is boring, I, that's a load of garbage. Yeah. Like, because the creator of the universe saw you from the beginning of time and planned out your story. Like that's a beautiful thing. So if you're listening to this and and you feel like some shame about your story, like um, that's a lie from the enemy, throw it out, yeah. um, you know? And so, yeah, um, that's really the first part of my story. Um, and I guess from there, uh, so my dad's always been involved in ministry. So I've grown up in church. Um, that's how I, you know, stoked the love for drumming is went to church and they raised me on like Stevie wonder. And we went to jazz festivals and, you know, I'd be that kid who'd be in the middle, like, you know, mimicking the drummer. And that's always been from an early age. They bought me my first drum kit when I was three. Um, and off to the races from there, mm-hmm. man. Uh, my parents are, are amazing because they've always bought houses with basements in them so I could have a drum set. And they've really invested into that gift. Um, wow. So definitely wouldn't be where I am without them, um, yeah. for sure. Kudos but. on your parents because as we're sitting here, I love everything that you do. My daughter will be musical just by the by family. Default. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, I just pray that she's not like, I'll let another person have a percussionist as a, as a kid in mind, like, because I don't know if I can take the banging. Sure. Like, it, and that is no patience. slight on you. That is no, yeah. like, I just, I've had Jordan on here too, Jordan yeah. Hunt. Yeah. And he talked about how he just always was banging on things. And yep. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I have the patience yeah. for that, I, man. I, I, if my daughter wants to play the piano, cool. Any instrument, just please don't bang on things right. all the time. Yeah. You know, my parents try to get me to do piano lessons and I think, uh, I found rock and roll at a pretty early age and yeah. I was like, no, that's not cool. Um, but yeah, definitely wouldn't be where I am today without my folks. And, 
Um, so yeah, raised in church, dad was involved in ministry, you know, to some degree. Uh, we actually came out to Denver on a church plant. That's how we found our way out here from Virginia beach to Denver. And, um, yeah, um, came on a church plant. That was an experience. I was five, um, moved to Denver in 97. Then the Broncos won the Super Bowl in 98, which is why I'm a Broncos fan. Um, I don't think that's bandwagon. I think I just I embraced just the home. Bandwagon. I, I think I embraced the home team, and my family did, and and I've been a diehard Broncos fan ever since. So it's not like a and it makes sense because at that age you're a six year old boy, right? Who is getting six years old is first grade kindergarten. Yeah. You want to wear jerseys to school? Oh, yeah. You like, I had a Terrell Davis jersey. Yeah, like, I, I get that. I that's not bandwagon. I, I'm a Broncos fan by association too. I moved here in eight uh, when I was eight, and so. One of those things that, like, everyone around me is a Broncos fan. and I like to pull for the home team, man. You know, so football, I think I stoked a love for sports. Basketball was my main thing, though, growing up. So I idolized, like, of course, Michael Jordan. I think I, I chalk that up to why I'm obsessed with Jordan shoes to this day. Um, I've got – my wife would probably call me a shoeaholic, but I get, a, I get a new pair of Jordans every quarter. It's just kind of my thing. Um, hey, that, that's your – that's your gift to yourself for working hard. Yeah, right. right. Um, but I love Jordan's shoes. But I was I was obsessed with like Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, um, even throwing it back to the home team like Antonio McDice, Nick Van Exel. Um, and we actually lived in Phoenix for a little bit of time. That was you know during the Shack and Nash area. So I and I was playing basketball. So it was just all this kind of inundated culture. But uh, my dad always said I got really expensive taste, and it's true because like I pick sports and music as a hobby, the two most expensive things you could possibly find, um, and it's still that way today. Uh, so nothing's changed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so we came out here on a church plant, um, and uh, it was it was until I was like ten when the church asked my dad to actually go to seminary and become like a formal pastor. So we packed up everything we had in a little trailer. Moved back east to Gaithersburg, Maryland, which is right outside of D.C. Um, and my dad was in seminary for a year. So we went from living in a house to living in an apartment. I shared a bedroom with my sister. It was a nightmare. Uh, I'm the kind of guy that I like. I need my own space. Yeah. And that year was just miserable, like for <laughs> sure. But it was there. I really started to cultivate a love for sports and getting into more like competitive type stuff. So I played for the church that we were at. I played sports, um, and kind of grew that competitive edge in nature. Um, and you know, that would, that would feed into like the next probably six or seven years of my life. Like, so when we, when we were done seminary, we got sent to Phoenix, Arizona. That's when we moved to Phoenix. So here I am 11 years old, Moving to Phoenix, it's a brand new place. I remember the first day we got there it was 120 degrees, and I was like, nope. "Dad, we cannot do this. It's uh, a hard too hot for me." Yeah, when you can cook an egg on the sidewalk, it's like it's like a no when for me. When it's not dog. safe to walk on yeah, the sidewalk, no, like not even with flip flops, it'll like melt your shoes. Nope, that's hard that's no. that's a hard no for me. But um, that was tough. Like moving from a place of like we had just spent a year abroad, and then when you get into your like 11 or teenage years, like. You, you start to form some roots and I felt like, you know, and this will continue in my story, but always this constant like uprooting. So I can't really put down solid roots. And that, that move was tough for sure. Um, Cause you're realizing that, Hey, my friends that I've been around that I've grown up with, they're not going to be around anymore. Yeah. Um, and it was for the sake of the gospel and ministry and all that. So yeah, that, that move was tough. Um, and I think that spiraled into like, 
Um, I started playing sports when I was in Phoenix, very competitive for this organization called EVAC. It was like homeschool kids that formed a, a team and we played in the public school system. We kicked butt like state <laughs> champions multiple years. Like, um, and it was because we had more time on our hands. I'm convinced. So when everyone else is in school, it's 11 AM on a Monday and we might be practicing. You're like, out shooting free throws. Yeah. Um, but it, it started, I think, I think it was a double edged sword because it was, um, it was a, a platform and I was kind of in the center of attention there, but also it created some discipline in my life too. Cause we had to like run and shoot on our off days. My dad's like a very type a person. So I've been on a schedule and on a budget since I was a young age. Um, I resisted it most of my life, but you know, later on in life I kind of accepted, Hey, that's kind of the way the world works. So yeah. just get on board with it. But it definitely formed some discipline in my life, but and through sports and, and just being, you know, a dude going through puberty, like, of course, like you kind of start to discover things. Um, and this is, this is kind of the, I call it like the dark ages of my testimony where yeah. I, I delved deep into like pornography. So I'm, I had a nine year pornography addiction, got exposed when I was 12. Um, a friend showed me a picture. He literally pulled it from the gutter. Like an actual picture from the gutter, which is exactly where that crap belongs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it, it awoken things in me that, you know, I think it says in Song of Solomon, like, don't awaken love before it's time. And that's mm. so true. Like, um, and now it's just, it kind of honestly kind of scares me the world that our kids are going to grow up in because they don't. They don't have to go any farther than Instagram nowadays. Like you have to put filters and multiple things up on your Instagram just to make sure you don't see stuff. And even then, like, and even then, it's it's like it's sick. And because the 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 algorithm, I remember there was a conversation that Jess and I had because she pulled up my discover. We were dating, or no, we were engaged. She pulled up my engage my uh, discover page, a little uh, magnifying glass, whatever that is. Yeah. And it was just girls all over it. And mm. and she goes, what are you looking up? And I'm like, nothing. Yeah, like, I swear you. to you. I'm yeah, not. yeah, yeah. And so I then went on the defense of like defending myself. Of like, yeah. okay, trying to figure out. And it turned out at this time, I don't know if the algorithm changed. This has been three years now. But at the time, the Discover page was built off of the people that you followed and yep. what they liked. Yep. And I was a youth pastor and I had a whole bunch of my old teammates. Yep. And so it's high school boys and my teammates yeah. who are all 20 something year old single dudes. It's ridiculous. And so I'm like, I went through and unfollowed all of them. And all of a sudden my discover page was puppies, hot chicken, and probably like something football. That's like, great. and I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, right. look at babe. I fixed it. No, like it, it was not me. You have to trick the algorithm by look. So for me, it's like my discover pages. I'm a, I'm a golfaholic. Like I play golf once a week. It's kind of my thing. That's not music and it's not work. Um, and it's, my page is full of golf videos. Um, probably something food related. Mitch and I share the same love for hot chicken. <laughs> Which it is if from you didn't have a lunch date today, I was going to see if you wanted to go Ooh. to music city. Hot. Well, chicken. We're going to have to do that at a later date, we will. but yeah. Um, so yeah, got into sports was super regimented, uh, was super involved with my youth group and, but all along kind of in the, you know, in the background, in the shadows, like 
playing around with pornography, masturbation, all of it. And my group of friends was not helpful with that because we were all feeding each other with that. It's Normalizing like, it. it. It was really bad, dude. Like if I look back on it, I'm like, that is so gross. Like we we were not doing yourself, ourselves any favors. We used to have these sleepovers, these halo parties that would be super innocent, but then they turn into like what type of porn are you looking at? Or have you checked out this website? Or have you checked out this actress? Like it yeah. was really bad. Um, yeah. And I think – like misery loves comp- loves his company, right? Mm-hmm. So we were we were super immature in that way, and I I it kind of you talk about you talked before we 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 started diving into this about wholeness, and I think the word the word integrity means wholeness, right? Mm-hmm. It means oneness, and I think God wants everyone to be in that space. And what I started doing in my teenage years was placing this part of my life, the church, the pastor's kid, the drummer, the worship dude over here, the sports guy who was like super disciplined and regimented and a team player and an encourager, and then the the map that was like delving around with pornography. So I split myself in three. Yeah. And that's super unhealthy um, to where you feel like you have to wear a different face in, in all three three spaces. And that just kind of continued to pull my spirit in like literally mm. three directions. And it's um, exhausting. Yeah, it's so exhausting. Remembering like, like how you have – like how do I interact with this group of people? Yep. Okay. Like, and then if you slip up, they're like, Hey, that's not the you, map that I know. Yeah. It was, it was, it was building up defenses, which are just cheap, like cheap wooden fences around. And God looks at that. And I think he's grieved because he's like, I created you to be this like one person and this whole person. And that's not, that's not what you're doing. And I think he lets those things happen to us for a reason. He lets it unfold. So like my, you know, I remember specifically when I was 15, my dad caught me looking at porn. It's the worst feeling on Mm -hmm. planet earth. I think I'm pretty sure that's how Adam and Eve felt. Like when God approached them and says, at where are you? Like, it's that same feeling of, of it's, it's shame melt by guilt met by like, I know I shouldn't be doing this. And then I remember specifically that my dad saying like, what are you doing? And it's, it's kind of one of those things that has stuck with me for a while of like, that's God and his gracious mercy towards Mm -hmm. humanity because he has every right to blow up in that moment. But my dad didn't, he's just like, what are you doing? Like almost this, like, you're not this person. Why do you need this? And um, my dad and I were super close at one point in time and we're, we're, we've had to mend a relationship because getting into ministry, as you know, it's fast paced. It's always, always on. And I think I, it was, it was a two part thing, but my part to own in this is that I always made the excuse that my dad doesn't have enough time for my crap. Like my Mm. dad doesn't, he's dealing with other people. He doesn't need to come home and deal with my crap. So I, I hid that from him and a sin and, 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 and especially sexual sin loves the dark, right? Yeah. It, it permeates and, and just grows like a weed um, in the dark. It loves that. And I think that's the way Satan works is it, the more things that are hidden, the, the more he's able to work. And um, I definitely experienced that in my life. And so, um, yeah, like I said, nine year porn addiction, um, not healthy whatsoever. Um, and I, I'll, I'll kind of skip ahead to like deliverance from that um, came. So we basically, you know, in into into sports, whatever. Um, 
my dad, they asked him to go plant a church in Colorado Springs. Um, so we were moving back to Colorado. He dropped that bomb on me when I was 17. So imagine being 17, having teammates, having friends, a vibrant youth group. I'm Junior all involved with school. it. Um, yeah, I'm planting roots. And he's like, well, we're moving. Um, and I didn't have any say in that. Mm. And so that really made me angry. I think it, it made me angry at God saying, here you go again. Like, here I'm just trying to like live my life, put down some roots. And you're saying, nope, bye-bye. Little did I know, like, Looking back, like I'm so grateful for the time we spent in Phoenix, but I think God moving me on from that. I'm like one. I just I wouldn't have met Rebecca. I wouldn't be married today. That's for sure. So that's just a blessing in disguise right there. But two, it got me out of a situation um, to where I I was no longer involved with those friends that were toxic and whatnot. So that's, I view I view it as like and nothing on them because they're great dudes and they all have families now and they're doing great. And I think God's redeemed some of that in their life for sure. But um I think God plucked me out from a situation. So again, like his fingerprints are all over my story of just saying, Nope, you're going over here. Um so we moved back up to Denver, actually. So we ended up planting the, the church in Colorado Springs that got pulled out from under us. The church that we had originally planted moving out when I was like five, um, the senior pastor stepped down and they asked my dad to go and take over, which made it honestly, it was at first, it was really, really hard. Cause I remember distinctly like my basketball team throwing me a, a going away party. Cause these are guys I've been playing with for like five years now. Um, and then the whole church lined up to say goodbye to your family on like your last Sunday there. That was heartbreaking. Um, mm. as a 17 year old to be kind of torn away from, cause I did have friends that were good influences in my life and, uh, they're still, it's kind of funny cause those are the friends in Phoenix that are still friends to this day. Yeah. Um, like they came to my wedding in April and, um, it's, it's amazing to watch God kind of keep those relationships together. But like at the time, man, I, I was like, I was torn apart and, um, I think that was the beginning of like the unraveling when we moved back up to, to Denver and, you know, I went from playing drums in this vibrant youth group at this church to not being on a worship team to reconnecting with friends who I hadn't seen in like 10 years. So there's differences and you kind of grow apart. And that was a hard move for me. I think I spent the first three years of, of being back up here, just angry at God, angry at my parents mm -hmm. and, you know, distinctly remember times where, you know, why don't I just run away and go back? Um, but yeah, I, I think that's where God really started to get a hold of me and, and really showed me that all I need is him. And it kind of, you know, culminated in, into this thing where I'd, I'd formed some amazing friendships, uh, with guys who were actually in my wedding. There were still friends to this day, which super grateful for that. Um, but yeah, it, it all came to a head. Um, my dad, uh, went on sabbatical for about eight months. So I was left here by myself. I was working a, a, a summer job at a golf course and, um, I just turned 21. So found alcohol and started throwing parties and spending 200 bucks a week. And my house was the party house. Like all my friends would come over. I had some friends working with me that summer and they moved in and we drank every Saturday. And so I would, I'd, have this routine of like, I'd work at the golf course, I'd play golf, I'd go to sleep, I'd do it all over again, uh, you know, dabble in cigarettes and all that stuff. Cause it's a super unhealthy lifestyle. If you throw yourself into it to wake up at four in the morning and have to work until one and then do it all over again and it just kind of becomes the cycle. But then on Saturdays we'd cut loose cause we didn't work on Sundays. So we'd party all night and then I'd show up to church, like hungover and play drums. So again, it was this like just this double life style. And I think 
you know, I know God brought that to a head. Basically, I remember praying this prayer saying, God, if you have to take everything away from me to show me all I need is you and for me to be whole, then do it. I dare you. Uh, be careful what you pray for. <laughs> uh, true. Yeah. Retweet. You know, um, be careful what you pray for. Because um, God was like, all right, here you go. Um, so it started, you know, I got into like a big old feud with my best friend who's actually still my best friend to this day. was best man at my wedding. Um, and so we didn't talk for eight months. That was, that was the first thing. I was also dating a girl long distance. Uh, we broke up. I was also in a band that I started, got kicked out for being a narcissist, um, was for lack of a better word, like put off the worship team at the church. I stepped down, but in reality, it's like, no, like you got kicked off. Um, so, and like I'm working as an intern at a financial planning, uh, firm actually down here in the tech center. So, um, so I'm commuting 45 minutes to and from work four days a week and going to school, uh, down to nothing. And man, that eight months of my life was like the sweetest eight months ever because, Mm. It was God saying, hey, you prayed this prayer, but I want this for you because this is where healing starts. And so uh, that's where God set me free from my porn addiction um, and uh, really showed me that like this is all stemming from your need to be liked and loved for who you are. Mm -hmm. And the reason you turned to porn in the first place was because you were looking for wholeness and you were looking to just be loved and seen Hmm. like that's the most twisted place you could look for that. Um, but, um, I think it, it all, it all stems from, um, you know, when I was younger, I did have some, you know, sexual abuse go on in my life. And that's where, as I look back, like all of that porn stuff came from that. It came Hmm. from this, somebody took something from me and now I need to go find it. Um, and that's a, that's a really depressing thing to think about. But, um, looking back, it's like, Man, like, there's a purpose. You, you you talk about this podcast being a pur- you know purpose putting purpose to pain, and there's definitely a purpose for that. And I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm still discovering what that is right now. But like, um, God brought me through all that to show me how real He is and how He's never left me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was in that eight months where I was just working a deadbeat job, and um, yeah. Uh, life was very boring for a reason, but mm. God like really showed up. Mm. Um, and you know, the journey kind of continues cause you know, the church that we were at actually like turned on my dad. Um, he, and, and along that same line, along that same timeline, like my sister, she has a, she has a severe mental disability. Um, basically she's 24, but she has the mind of a 14 year old and she'll always be there. Mm. Um, and she was starting to act out cause she's going through changes in her body and all this stuff going on. And she's got a, to this day has a severe mental disability and will always be stuck in that cycle. And she started to act out. And so my dad's like, getting pressure from work because this church is like literally putting him on trial for spiritual abuse, which is just a bunch of BS. Um, my dad will tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And some people just don't want to hear that. Yeah. Um, and my dad's not perfect by yeah. any means. Um, but he truly wants the best for people and he's willing to tell them the hard stuff. And some people just aren't willing to hear that or aren't ready to hear that. Yeah. And I think they, they took that and they took that as like, well, you're, you're being abusive. It's like, Mm. that's sad, but 
whatever. It's kind of the world we live in. Today. Yeah, if you tell somebody what they need to hear, if it if it opposes thing. their truth, then, yeah, then your truth is relative, right? Their truth is relative. So, yeah. but yeah, man, like so, I it was interesting because God became super close in that, but church became very distant. I, I stopped going to church because I was like, F this. Like yeah. if God's people treat each other like this, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Um, and I spent six, seven months, um, probably, yeah, six, seven months not going to church. I was mm-hmm. like, nope, I don't want to, I, I want Jesus, but I don't want that. Yeah. Uh, but Jesus became close in that in that season, which has just proved to me that like church is community and church is the living out of like the body of Christ. You can be a Christian and not go to church. Yeah. Like that's such a myth. Like, and I, I, I don't think in our, in our world, I love going to Red Rocks and, and being involved. Cause that's my community. Yeah. That's where I'm fed. That's where I planted roots. That's where I'm sowing and reaping. Um, and I, you know, community and, and what church looks like, especially in the world, of the pandemic has changed. To where what we're doing here is fellowship and it's yeah. community, right? Um, yeah. What what what's created by this podcast is community, and I think that's God's intent is just to know that we're not alone, right? So community and camaraderie, and I, I'm all, and it's countercultural, and maybe there's people that will disagree with me, and if you do, I would love to talk to you because that's okay to do too, is to talk with people about things that you disagree with. Um, I think you get into politics, not to get too far into it, but right. we, have, we have such a division between right and left because. There is no conversation between no. disagreements. It's yep. you're wrong and I hate you. Yep. And um, and I think that I, I, I'll say that like I don't. I'm not a big fan for someone who I love our church. For someone whose wife works for and I'm super involved in a a church building. I'm not the biggest fan of church body like the the like the church or what Western culture has made a church a brick and mortar church yeah. because. Um, it's used to be a tool for God. And like you're saying, community. And, mm-hmm. but so many times, like you're saying, there's like, those things are not immune to toxic, toxic, toxicity, um, and the enemy's attacks. And so like, they can be places of hurt and, um, division and yeah. just as easily as they can be places of community. And like, look at house churches, dude, right. like Eastern culture, like the Bible, they didn't have, they had the temple, which, a lot of times, if you read the Bible, the temple is a place where, like, the Pharisees and the Sadducees sat and made people feel awful about themselves. Right. Um, Jesus preached wherever and, like, in house churches, in um, around Street tables. <laughs> and, yeah, and, like, like you can have church. So if you're in a place um, where you're listening to this, you're like, I have a lot, wow, a lot of church, brick-and-mortar church body, church baggage. It's and maybe I'm wrong. And if you're if you are someone that goes to church and believes you need to be in church every Sunday, I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> but I don't believe that you need to be. Yeah, um, and I think that's where we get into as Christians, man. Like this legalistic approach to what life with Christ looks like. And my dad, like through all of this hurt, has grown closer to Jesus more than anything. And um, and two things got him through. Like God drew near to him, drew near to him in that moment, mm-hmm. and also my mom. Let me tell you, my mom is the most like disciplined spiritual person I know. She's hasn't missed her time with the Lord in 38 years. Holy cow. And so imagine the the spiritual like armor that is built up by that nothing phases her. She's a prayer warrior. That's just who she is. And I'm not saying like 
that to be like, that's the standard. That's what you need to be. It's she's made a conscious decision to put that relationship first in her life. Yeah. And that's, that, that has reaped major benefits. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the principle here is like putting Jesus first means in a relationship is a two way street, right? Yeah. Um, and I think God set that up that way of like our relationship to him is like, he's going to meet us exactly where we're at. He's always going to be there, but we have to choose it. Yeah. Um, and that's his, that's his grace. He's not this angry God in the sky that sits up and says, you're a piece of crap because you do this, that, and the other. Yeah. He's a God who's saying, Hey, I'm here, but I want this to be your choice because when it's your choice, you're going to find the joy and the fulfillment and all that. So mm. yeah, those two things got my dad through that season. And, um, you know, I eventually came back to church actually through my best friend. His name's Steven Kohlberg. He's the best man at my wedding. He invited me to go to Flatirons like multiple times. And I said, no, I was like, I don't want that bumper sticker. That's the last place I want to be yeah. is a bumper sticker, big church. Like I don't want to be entertained. I've seen it all. I've, I've done the Christian music tour thing. Like I've did nothing like is new under the sun for me. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, I, I, I resisted for a long time, but I remember I was driving a friend home who lived in Lafayette. That's where their main campus is and was just driving by. It was right before the four o'clock and like, it was literally the Holy spirit was like, Hey, you have to go in there. Like, um, I have something for you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fine, very resistant, mm-hmm. sat in the back, like near the exit sign on the balcony, like as far back as you can. And, um, worship was whatever, like, um, to me, it's as being a musician, it's really hard to watch other musicians because you instantly go into this thing of like critique mode. I could, I critique this cause in, in a prideful statement, like I could maybe do this, but I would do this differently. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's hard to engage in worship and be led, but worship was engaging was really the message. So kudos to, to Jim and he's a, he's a great pastor, uh, Jim Bergen. Um, but he, uh, he spoke about how the church had ravaged his family, his sexual baggage. And it was the first time that I'd ever seen in a church setting, someone be that real. Mm. And I, it was almost like, you know, the Holy spirit through Jim was talking to me. I was the only person sitting in the room. Mm. I'm in the back. I'm losing it. I'm crying. Mm. I'm like, what is this? Like, and it was, I, I firmly believe it was God speaking through Jim saying, Hey, like, it's okay to be broken. It's okay. Like to, to have like this part of your story, like that's part of your story and I'm yeah. going to redeem that. Mm. Um, but I'm going to use it. And that was kind of the first time where I felt like, okay, I don't have to hide this. Yeah. I can. And that, that started, you know, as we talk about wholeness, it start it started bringing me back to center. Um, so the partying and the drinking stopped, um, or was tapered. I like alcohol. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I'm not an alcoholic. I like to have a drink with friends. You know, well, your family's from Barbados. Yeah, man. And like, they they have good rum. Yeah, they have good rum. So I like to enjoy that. And I think God's created those things for our enjoyment. It's when we abuse them that when it goes over the edge, right? Yeah. So uh, God's really taught me how to like, hey, here's the enjoyment. And then here's the line, mm-hmm. right? And so put some boundaries up like yeah. around that. So, um, but yeah, started, started really drawing back to center and, and, and got on the worship team there. Um, and 
Actually, that's where so it's where I met John Meeting and, and Zach yeah. Hartgraves, um, who are two other members of Red Rocks Worship. Uh, they're some of my closest friends. Zach plays bass. John plays electric. And yeah, John was has been one of those friends in my life that's instrumental for walking me back to where God wants me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, he saw a broken individual. He saw someone who, like. I firmly believe the Holy Spirit put me on his heart and was just like, that kid just needs that, that guy needs a lot of love and needs someone to draw close to him and tell him the hard truth. And John became that person. So I started doing worship with him in student ministry at, at Flatirons. And that was kind of where I got my start. Then I, then I, you know, joined on the regular worship team on the weekend and, and made that a thing. And, um, it was just kind of crazy because I know a part of your story is you left medical sales to do an unpaid mm-hmm. internship at a church. Yeah. I was then a full-time financial advisor with Northwestern Mutual, making decent money. I put myself in a lot of debt because of it because, again, I wanted to put up this face of, like, I'm successful. So I bought things and put things on credit cards and your bad Jordans. decisions. Yeah. You know, there you go. <laughs> uh, bought expensive suits, all of it, like, just to look the part, um, which I think – you know, looking back, the culture of that office was like, you have to fake it till you make it. I think that's a bunch of BS. Just be who you are and God will use you. Um, and, uh, didn't see that at the time, but yeah, uh, started getting more involved in flat irons and, and felt this tug on my heart that like God didn't want me to be where I was at. And it was at actually a, a young adult retreat led by my now boss, Jordan Terrell. Um, and the guy that I work with now and, one of the teaching pastors at Flatiron spoke and he was like, literally started the retreat off with this. This is like a mic drop. God has a calling on your life and you're running scared from it. Hmm. And I think for me that hit me because I wasn't up there to wrestle with anything. I was up there to have a really cool weekend with friends and, and it was awesome because it's Cricket Creek and it's in the mountains. And God was like, Nope, we, we're going to do some tango. Um, and really that weekend, man, was like God repositioning me to be like, Hey, this is not what I want from you for -hmm. your life. And so I came down from that mountain two weeks later, gave my notice of like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm, I'm quitting financial advising. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I actually went back to working for the golf course for the summer and started raising money to start the internship at Flatirons. So Mm -hmm. Um, and God used that internship in a mighty way to like really humble me to, to kind of put what I call the final pieces back to that oneness and wholeness. And I'm still, we're all still on that journey today, but, um, I firmly believe like God put me in, in, in that internship for that year to, to really focus and do the work and put me through the fire. Mm. Um, that's when that, that whole part of my story, like I learned that, like I sat my parents down and learned about, um, my adoption story, I always knew I was adopted, but I didn't know about, you know, the birth dad and the cocaine and, and all that, like, um, and how God was clearly plucking me out of that situation and put me into another. Like, I learned that for the first time as a 24-year-old sitting in my parents' living room, just losing it because I can't believe mm-hmm. that God is like, it's almost like he was saying, like, I was there the whole time yeah, and I haven't left. Um, so that realization was super real, man. Like, um, but yeah, um, I'm just, I was super thankful for that time and, um, Flatirons is a great church. Um, but I think it, it goes back to the principle. I heard this, this one pastor, I think it was actually Brian Houston saying, find a, find a community of people 
and invest into it and your life will never be the same. Um, I think the innate human soul are, are, we want to feel loved, seen and known for who we are. And I think the church has done a lot of disservice to helping people get to that place because we, we think of like this right versus wrong rather than just like, Hey, here's the word of God. Here's God. He's not mad at you. He's not angry. And he wants to have a relationship with you and presenting that to people yeah. and letting the Holy Spirit do what it does. Because it's not our job to change yeah. people. It's not our job to determine the truth or what's right or wrong. Yeah. It's our job to love our neighbor um, next to us as best as we can. Yeah. Um, and we can't do that unless we love ourselves. And I think loving yourself looks like running through your demons and, and processing that and, and coming out the other side better. Um, yeah. to, with a, with a, with a testimony and a story. So, um, yeah, I feel like I'm blabbering on, but no, like, you, you um, said a, you've said a couple of things though that I want to, sure. before we go past it, Yeah, yeah, yeah. we want to be loved, seen and, or seen, heard, what did you say? Seen, heard, seen, seen, uh, known and loved for known who, we who we are. Okay. So I think one thing that the, uh, if I can look at a common denominator across the, um, influential points in your testimony that you've hit on is the importance of talking. Uh, I think shame is something that inhibits us from talking. I think um, that we allow so often to let the words that are spoken negatively impact our lives so Mm. heavily, Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't allow there to be room for positive talk. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't allow room for words that spur growth or as you're saying, stoke growth. I love mm-hmm. that word stoke. It's been a, it keeps popping up in my life. Um, but like with abuse, man, I think that that, that, that is such a traumatic and awful thing, but we're embarrassed by it for all the different reasons yep. that are different to each person. Yeah. Um, and so then I don't, I'm the, I have never been abused, but I have a lot of friends, which is such a sad thing to say, but it's reality of like, if you listen to this, you're not alone in that. And like to talk about it, you're like, well, if you know this about me, I don't think you'll love me for who I am. Yeah. And I can attest, I am testimony to the fact that I sat in a room with 10 other dudes and we were sharing our testimonies. It was a, we were getting ready to go into this season of life together that we needed to like know each other. Mm. Um, and one guy shared his testimony and said, and I was abused when I was younger and I'm not kidding. Six dudes started crying mm-hmm. and they're like, I wasn't going to share this, but I had, I was too. Yeah. And I wasn't going to share this. And I was too. And they were, because he shared mm-hmm. that more seen, more loved, more known. Mm-hmm. And so like, and then the it instantly when you were talking earlier about putting a light on your porn addiction, it it brought me to Ephesians five, which is yeah. I'm, I'm going to bring it up. Um, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything mm. that is illuminated illuminated becomes a light. Mm. And so, there are things in your life, your porn addiction, um, that the world says is gross. Um, 
And that's shame that you don't talk about. Sexual sins in themselves are just heavier to the world. To God, if you're hearing this, to God, they are sin. Sin is sin. Um, Me me cussing about my fantasy football team and slandering a man who I don't even know is a sin. Um, But the world sees sin as... Um, sexual sin is gross, but you are. Um, and it's yeah, I think. I think personally, like my overcoming, because there. Let me dispel this myth too. Just because you get married, does. Yeah. So just because you're married, this is a myth. Like everyone thinks when they get married, their sexual sexual temptation goes away. Just because you get married does not mean you won't face sexual temptation. And in fact, like if you look at Jesus, when he was tempted in the desert, like he went away, he was tempted with these three things of like power, recognition, fame. And he was like, I already have all that. And I'm actually denying it to be here to save my people. Um, and what did he do in that moment? He spoke truth. So in the moments, if you're listening to this and all of us go through temptation, like I firmly believe when when the Bible says it's sharper than a two-edged sword, if you hide the word of God in your heart and you in that moment declare truth, the enemy has to flee. That's not that's not some like wishy-washy spiritual heebie-jeebie. That is a promise from God. Yeah. And God keeps his promises. And so for me, like even now when sexual temptation is a thing, because uh, it still is a thing, yeah. it is me stopping to declare the truth of God over my life. Mm. And it's I am statements. It's he is statements. It is. It is. And if you do that, if you make that conscious decision, the enemy's going to flee. He has no place there. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we... And that sounds churchy. It sounds super spiritual. It's just true, man. I've done that in my life. And I think like men, you said you referenced talking like we as men don't talk. We suppress and deny our stories like my abuse. Like I suppressed and denied that for like 18 years, almost to the point where I forgot. Mm -hmm. And it took God walking me back through this journey to make me whole again to realize, oh, my goodness, that happened to me. Um. And bring that up again. It's because I wasn't talking about it. It's because I wasn't bringing it into the light. And so, if you're listening to this and you're sick and tired of like the enemy having power over your life, it's. I would just encourage you, like find, find a safe place to tell your story. And it doesn't have to be on this platform. It doesn't have to be on a podcast. It could just be with a friend over coffee, yeah. or a significant other, whatever it is. Like, don't let the enemy keep the, the, what you deem the bad parts of your story in the shadows, because that will continue to fester, like bring it into the light. Like my first date with my now wife, I went there. I was like, Hey, this is what you're getting into. Like, and you know, she has her own story and her own baggage and we went there, but I firmly believe that's to this day. Like what's like making us stronger is that there's really nothing there's actually nothing that she doesn't know about me and yeah. I don't know about her. That's amazing. Um, there's complete and vulnerability and vulnerability like there. And it's like, it's literally nakedness. It's like, there's, you yeah. don't, you know, everything about me. Like, and, yeah. And here's the thing is like, you want, it's a challenge. Here's a challenge, but like you want that community yep. and you don't want like to be fully known and fully seen. And yep. you don't want community that, doesn't love you for who you are. Like, right. like that's not, that is performance. That's not yeah. 
that's not restful. That's not growth. No, the sad and, part is most of church is is this put on this face, do this thing to approach God, and I really think that saddens his heart. And uh, unfortunately, like that's you see a lot. That's where you see a lot of the church baggage come out on people. Yeah. You boil it down to like. I wasn't allowed to be who I am. And that's the church I grew up in, man. Like you couldn't, you you couldn't talk about any of that, but yet it was so prevalent and going on in the shadows. Like it wasn't even, it's not a joke. Like, um, and God's not surprised by it. That's like when scripture says like nothing is hidden from God. Uh, yeah. For a reason, that's a good thing. Um, (laughs) yeah. And that's what brings you from Virginia or from Phoenix to Denver because this addiction that you have is not hidden from God. And you're going to look back at it when you are in your twenties and say, thank you, God, that you removed me from that. It was in your grace that you put me through that in that moment. And, um, man, I think I, I know that your hard stop is two minutes from now because you have a lunch meeting. Um, it's fine. Okay. So I, I, I just, I, I, I want to just, man, You've, you've done it, and so we don't even need to go there. Thank you for taking your – like, man, talking is so – I I love these conversations that I'm having because over and over again, we just keep coming to wholeness. We keep coming to talking. We keep coming to restoration and the importance that talking about it is. Like, Matt was just talking, like, talk to somebody. Man, my wife and I this morning had a really cool conversation about this – insecurities that she was feeling but when she said them out loud i could see it in her face where she was like why am i believing that yeah like why is that like something that i am giving any power within my ears yeah but the minute i say it i'm accountable for thinking it and then now it's like why am i thinking this and so if you feel shame for something man i or you're embarrassed by something there's got to be somebody in your life, whether it be a, a sibling, a spouse, a parent, that you can just say it. And if not, maybe start praying for someone to come into your life that that would be it. But that takes investment and, and vulnerability to give yeah. yourself to somebody in that way. Not not in any way. Give yourself sounds wrong. If you feel like you don't have somebody, I'm actually going to challenge that because that's the power of, of prayer. And prayer is not this like uh, in Jesus' name – amen type of thing. I think that we as Christians make it, it's a conversation between you and the creator of the universe. Yeah. That's what it is. So talk to God about it. Like I'm serious. He knows. So you're not going to surprise him. He knows the desires of he, your heart. He, he loves you exactly for who you are. So take a moment and just, just talk, like actually have a conversation with God yeah. about it and watch what happens. Like, and, and declare truth over your life. And, you know, the last thing that, that I'll say, like, and kind of the, the culmination of this resurrection story of what I think of like this redemptive story that God is played out in my life. Like, um, like I thought my purpose was ministry, which it is, by the way, you don't have to work for a church to be a ministry. If you're a Christian, Amen. you believe in Jesus, you are a ministry. Uh, love the person next to you. Um, I was playing drums at a youth conference uh, and I met my wife. I was just doing what I was made to do. And I met my wife 
Because you hurt yourself. Because I hurt myself. So I fell <laughs> and hurt myself and put a big old gash in my leg. And she was she was one of the nurses that was there. But she also grew up with my like my best friend's wife. And so there's this community and this relationship thing happening and just weird pieces moving together. But literally, if I wasn't brave enough to like get back on the horse to like uh go play worship again and, and start drumming and, and invest myself into the into the community that I was in. Like I wouldn't have met my wife, which is like the greatest thing that God has ever given me. Um, so let that just be an encouragement to God purposes your pain and your story for something. And that something could be years away. It could be weeks away. It could be hours. I don't know, like where everybody's at. But I do know this, like it says in scripture, like he, he who is faithful will always bring that work into completion. I know I butchered that, but like says it in Philippians and that's, that's a promise. And I think more than anything, Mitch, like I've learned that like the promises of God are real and he keeps them in his good timing. Yeah. And he's got that. He's got all of our stories on on a timeline and it's, it's according to his good work and his faithfulness and Mm. like God's fabric and fingerprints are all over my story. And they will, and my story's not done yet either. Um, I view it as like, I'm living in my purpose now more than ever, which is so, so weird because I thought it was ministry. Um, but I sell houses, I play drums, um, and I help other people around me, like get better at what they do. Um, and I find so much wholeness and peace in that spot. And I, I really think like God's brought me to this place of like, here's your story. Here's I've shown up and here, 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 and here, and I'm still going to show up and I'm not done with you. Um, but you're whole Hmm. and you're living out of that and you're continuing this journey towards wholeness, which to be honest, it's a promise, right? None of us, this side of heaven will ever be perfect and completely whole. So no, that's really good. And thank you for sharing. Thank you for coming on. And uh, I think, man, I hope that you, so like there is scripture that talks about how the word, your tongue is the most, uh, powerful muscle within your body and it has the ability to set fires and i think also that in that same breath you can see setting fire as a negative thing mm-hmm. um but i see this i've i have i'm going to draw it one day but like this this picture of of men almost like a forest and like all it's taking is a spark of a mm-hmm. tongue to get to to kill all the dead wood to kill all of this stuff and your tongue is a spark and you're the first to come on here and to talk about a porn addiction. Bro, I did this project for two years off mic talking to a hundred men. 70% talked to me about porn. Mm -hmm. And that shows the, the shame in it because when it was just me and them not on mic, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I I have struggled with porn, but for someone else to listen to it, I'll just leave that part out of my testimony. I'll choose not to. And so thank you for being brave and coming on here and talking about that. Um, because man, the world we live in today, I would literally be willing to bet unless you live under, like there's no way that, and God willing that there is somebody who has never watched porn in their mm-hmm. life as a man. Good for you. Good for you. And also how, because literally, <laughs> literally Netflix yeah. has turned into like that. And so, Man, you're not alone in that. You're not in and Matt is testimony to that. You're not alone in abuse. You're not alone in like that is what this is, is like camaraderie. We talked about like the importance of camaraderie. Like 
these are things that you came on and you talked about that are, are they are stigmatized in a negative way. I don't know if stigma already in, in its definition makes negative, but if so, I'm going to say negative stigma, um, just to double, to double it. But, um, man, you, you did a a powerful thing and I appreciate that. And so we'll see if like that is something that comes on and I won't even see the results of that for another two months because no one's gonna be able to hear this for eight weeks. Yeah. I mean, and I'm like not, not approachable by the way, if you're listening to this and you want to know more, I'm, I'm an open book. Like I believe yeah. that like part of God showing up in my story is that I'm supposed to, I'm not supposed to just keep that for myself. Mm. I'm supposed to share it. And that's what I love about, you know, whatever quote unquote platform red rocks worship is. Yeah. It's really just an opportunity to like, um, to get to know people on yeah. a deeper level. Cause they already, you already, they're already going to approach you because you know, everyone idolizes a stage and, I love flipping the tables on that. Like when somebody comes and like, Oh my God, you're such a great drummer. Um, I want to know what's your name, how long you've been here, what's your story? Like, and want to help that person walk away from the conversation, feeling more seen, known and loved rather than they come to just praise some performance. They walk away feeling, Oh my God, like God's real. He loves me for who I am. So, um, but if you want to talk, I'm here, DM me. Um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, find me happy. to Matt McKenzie. What's your Instagram? Uh, Mighty moose 93 (laughs) underscore underscore. All right, y'all. Well, Hey, um, if you walk away from anything today, talk, um, if you hear nothing, if you, I don't know why someone would just skip to the last 30 seconds, but if you chose to know that this whole thing we talked about was just like talking, yeah, all we like Matt and I sat here in my basement, he made the intentional decision to drive down here and to, to talk. And so, uh, we are, I think repetition is important. You just keep talking about it. Keep talking about it. I'm going to keep talking about talking. So until next time, peace. Peace. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the over a drink podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the over a drink podcast and on Twitter at over underscore a underscore drink. Reach out and send me a message. I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast, and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. I'll put it together in a blog format and then we send it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee that will allow you to partner financially with the Over a Drink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace.